So, an engineer, a physicist, and a lawyer are applying for the position of CEO of a very large corporation. They're going through the interview process where they are being grilled with all sorts of different questions, but each one of them in the end of their interview is asked one final question. What is two plus two? Well, when that question is asked to the engineer, he immediately goes back and starts to consult his engineering textbooks. He goes to the library to do a little bit further research, pulls out his scientific calculator, his slide rule, and then definitively says, four. Those who are interviewing him said, thank you very much. Next up, of course, is the physicist, two plus two. Well, the physicist immediately consults the Library of Congress and begins looking into the International Table of Measurements and consults with other physicists and comes back to the interview and says definitively, four. Once again, those who are interviewing say, thank you, we appreciate that. Now it's time for the lawyer. The lawyer looks around the room, pulls the shades, looks for any radio transmitters, checks to make sure the phone isn't bugged, looks at the interviewers and says, what would you like it to be? <laughs> In the game of life, there are rules and there are referees. <laughs> there are laws and there are lawyers. <laughs> and if everyone is going to play together, we need to know the rules, and we need to apply the rules fairly and equally and evenly. I love the story that we saw during the His Kids message of the game of Scrabble. You know, we have one person on our staff who is an avid Scrabble-playing fan. Her name is Jean Filkins. Jean loves to play Scrabble and loves to play Scrabble with one of her sons in particular. But they've noticed that as they went along playing, it became harder and harder because there were words that were coming from places that one or the other of them had never heard of before. So finally, they went out and agreed that they would use the 1956 Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary as the final authority. If it isn't in that book, it isn't a word. Sometimes you got to do that. You got to play the referee. You got to figure out what is it that is going to be allowed and what it is that is not going to be allowed. That is why we have been looking at God's rules in our current sermon series entitled The Game of Life. We're working through the Ten Commandments as revealed to us in the Old Testament, but then as reinterpreted in many cases by Jesus himself in the New Testament and in the Gospels, and not only in his words, but through his ministry and his actions. And that's important. It's important that we look to see how Jesus manages these commandments and how he lives them out because as i said last week and it bears repeating jesus has the final word on the word of god because jesus is the word of god i can't say this enough it's so important that we understand that jesus himself who is the perfect revelation of God's love, his purposes, his truth, everything that we need to know about God, we see in the person of Jesus. 
revealed to us in Scripture. Jesus has the final say and the final word. He is God's final word to all of us, spoken into existence. We look to Jesus to answer our questions. We look to Jesus to be that final judge, to be that lawyer, to be that rule keeper, that referee. He is the one who gets to say finally what it is that God desires for us and from us. It's good because I trust in Jesus with everything that I have and with everything that I am. And that's a good place for us to trust together. And that brings us to our command from God's word for today. The sixth commandment, which we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Now this is a specific command with a specific meaning. You shall not have sexual relations with another man's wife. Now, just like last week when we came to the command, thou shalt not murder, we can look at that command and this command and go, okay, pretty straightforward, pretty simple, can check that one off the list and move right along. And believe me, as I was talking with my colleagues and everyone else this morning, they were so grateful that I was the one who got to talk on this topic would be simple if it were just so easy. Now we have to ask the question, why is this commandment here? Now, the reasons may seem obvious, but it's important also to understand the context in which this originally was shared. About 3,000 some years ago, on Mount Sinai, to the people of God, a very specific people in a specific place and time. And there was something that was very, very important to these people in that particular period of time. And it is inheritance and lineage. Inheritance and lineage. In other words, you got to know who your daddy is. And that was extremely important important. You see, there was no DNA testing in the time of the Exodus. So what you had was very specific rules regarding inheritance. The firstborn typically got a double portion. The firstborn male child, I should say, would get a double portion and the remainder would be distributed evenly amongst the other children. So you wanted to know who your firstborn was, and you wanted to be sure that your firstborn was your firstborn. So there were very specific rules that needed to be followed, and in order to guard these rules, it was very important that you knew that your wife had been with no other man other than you. To put it very simply. But there was something else that needed to be highlighted as well. And that's that women and children were considered property of their fathers and their husbands. This is the way in which things worked out. This is how they were defined. So when it came to exchanges in relationships, when it came to time for, for a young man to seek out his bride, there was a dowry, there was a purchase price for their bride from that bride's father. 
It was a financial exchange. Now that's hard for us to understand today, but that is the way in which this people lived in the times before Jesus and including the time of Jesus. Inheritance and lineage were extremely important. So the penalties for adultery were extremely harsh. Leviticus 20 verse 10 says this, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Death was the penalty for being caught in an adulterous relationship. Wow. Serious business. A little different from today. This commandment was universally understood by Middle Eastern people. Not just God's people in Israel, but by the people around them as well. We see an example of it in the life of Abraham. Abraham with his wife Sarah who goes down to Egypt and in that place meets up with Pharaoh. Pharaoh takes an eyeing for Sarah and Abraham decides that instead of referring to Sarah as his wife, he would call, him, call her his sister. As a result, Pharaoh takes a liking to Sarah and, and begins to have a relationship with her until he discovers that Sarah is in fact Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh is horrified because he understands the rules. He understands the importance, the significance. Comes back and says, there's now a curse on my entire household because of what you have done. This is your wife. Even Pharaoh himself gets it and understands how serious this commandment is. So that should give you a little bit of framework for this commandment in that time. But now let's fast forward to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, again, who has the final word on the word of God. And we find that word in Matthew chapter 5. The same place that we found this word last week in talking about the previous commandment of thou shalt not murder. Here we continue on in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. Now, as we're setting the stage here for this passage, I want to give you a little bit more understanding of why it is that Jesus chooses to be talking about these commands with his disciples and with others who are listening. And the reason is this. Jesus was dealing with another set of lawmakers and referees. Those who interpreted the rules a little differently. These were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the teachers of the law. These were the lawyers of the time. These were the people who were entrusted with interpreting the laws of God clearly and teaching them clearly to God's people. So Jesus has this as a part of his audience, is this group of Pharisees and teachers of the law. And there will come to light more of the reason why this is so important 
as we continue to read in this passage. So follow along with me from Matthew 5, beginning at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Whoa. Did you hear what Jesus just said? Do you recognize what Jesus just did? Jesus just took a rule that had been focused on external physical acts and made it an issue of the heart, just like he did with murder. These two commands right next to each other, and this is where Jesus goes. Commands that at their face value seem simple enough to be able to live into externally. Yep, haven't murdered anybody today. Yep, haven't slept with anybody else's wife. I guess I'm good. But Jesus understands something about us. Why does he do this? Because Jesus cares about our hearts as much as he cares about our actions. Because he knows they are linked together and Jesus knows that we are rule breakers and even when it doesn't look like we are on the outside Jesus understands Jesus knows his audience of who he is talking to in his disciples they had been taught by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law now do you want a real simple definition of a Pharisee it is someone who sees everyone else's sin, but not their own. That's the simplest definition of a Pharisee. And believe me, there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Because who wouldn't prefer to condemn somebody else for their sin while receiving mercy for their own? Reminds me of a conversation I used to have with a parishioner at a past congregation I'll just call him Bob. Bob has already gone on to his eternal reward, so, so Bob wouldn't mind me sharing this. Bob used to come to me at the end of many of my services, and he'd shake my hand on the way out. Bob was a pleasant guy, had a good sense of humor. But every once in a while, Bob wanted to stop by on the way out of the service and say, hey, pastor, you know, appreciate all these messages on grace and love that you've been sharing, but when are you going to preach on the Ten Commandments? You heard about those, haven't you? And I'd smile and shake Bob's hand and continue to greet others as he went on his way. And Bob would come back up to me again a few weeks later. Hey, Pastor, good sermon today, but wondering, when are you going to preach on the Ten Commandments? You heard of them, haven't you? The third time around Bob came up, I was a little better prepared. Bob came and said, hey, pastor, good sermon today, but hey, 
when are you going to preach on those Ten Commandments? You heard of them, haven't you? I said, yep, Bob. So let me tell you, which one should we start with that you're dealing with? Bob didn't ask that question again. I'm not calling Bob a Pharisee because Bob is just like any one of us on any given time. So often we love to hear the messages that make us feel good about ourselves and and we like to hear the messages that maybe make us feel better about ourselves than somebody else because at least we're not struggling with that sin when the reality of it is Jesus wants us to recognize that every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. And that even in these two basic commands, it's not just about the outward actions. It's about the meditations of the heart. The places where we look. The words that we say. The things that we think silently that nobody else sees but God does and Jesus further illustrates the way that he operates through another story a story found in the gospel of John chapter 8 I'm just going to read this to you this morning a fairly familiar story but one that speaks directly to Jesus' heart. From John chapter 8, beginning at verse 2, it says this, At dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us stone to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What Jesus says to us is clear. The reality of of what adultery and adulterous thoughts do in breaking down relationships and in destroying lives is clear. It was clear then and it is clear now. Anybody who has had friendships with other couples knows how devastating an illicit affair can be. It destroys people. 
It ruins relationships. It hurts children. It can have long, lingering effects. Jesus is clear about how serious he takes this. And in the same breath, Jesus recognizes that all of us have fallen. That every one of us has places in our lives that we conceal. And that justice and mercy aren't supposed to be at odds with each other. Jesus is not soft on sin, as the Pharisees would often accuse him of being. But what he was, was the personification of God's desire to bring about forgiveness, to restore wholeness, and to empower through the Holy Spirit a new way of living. Mercy and justice aren't supposed to be at odds with one another, but there's something that can unite them together in Jesus. And it's shared in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Truth and grace are not opposed to one another. They find their root in who Jesus is himself. And that finds its way to us when we humble ourselves and confess that, God, you are just, and everything that you say is right, and every way in which you have seen me as I really am is how I really am, a sinner in need of a Savior. And now, Lord, I humbly receive the grace that you desire to pour out on me. It's in humility that we approach God with the sins of an adulterous heart. Because adultery, both internal and external, destroys relationships. Martin Luther said it this way, we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. There is the love of neighbor, the purpose for the command to bring about a trustworthy world. Listen, God is just and he is merciful. But we are called in humility to approach him as we really are. Not from a place of shame, but from a place of honesty before the Lord, confessing our sins before him, both those hidden as well as those obvious and revealed. God is just and merciful. And the punishment that was meant for us, the severity of which is illustrated in the Bible and continues on in, in the severe words of Jesus, well, that justice 
came upon him. Jesus chooses to take all of the punishment that was meant for us, the death that was due to us, from the actions of our hands and the thoughts of our minds. He takes all of that upon himself on the cross. The punishment meant for us was put upon him so that the freedom and forgiveness that he desired for us could be poured out upon us. If that doesn't humble you, I fear for you, my friend. We come humbly before our God knowing that he is just and knowing that he is merciful and falling at the foot of Jesus. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me. Show me. Purify me. And show me the way. And it's not just a one-time thing. There's a reason why we come together each Sunday, confess our sins before the Lord and receive his forgiveness. It's because his forgiveness is always being offered and always needing to be received. And as we prepare today to come to the table, we remember that Jesus said to leave whatever offering you might have and be reconciled to your brother who is your neighbor. That was from last week. So if you have something to confess before the Lord, as you wait your turn to come to the table, bring that before the Lord. Let Jesus speak to you those words of forgiveness as you confess to him the truth of who you really are. It's okay. This is a place where God's truth is spoken and his mercy is offered to all who humbly come before the Lord. Let us prepare our hearts with humility to receive from him his body and his blood given for each of us for the forgiveness of our sins. Let that be the place and let this be the place that marks us as followers of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, we confess, Lord, that the thoughts of our hearts and the actions of our bodies have not always, Lord, been pleasing to you. We confess, Jesus, that we have looked upon others as objects and not as a beautiful part of your creation, created by you in your image, Lord. Father, help us. Lord, I pray that you would help every marriage that is represented in this room and represented on these screens watching at home. That you would help us, Lord, 
to see the beauty and the love that you have created between us as husband and wife. And that, Lord, you would forgive us for those places where our eyes have wandered and our thoughts have followed. Lord, lead us from that place of shame to that place of your grace, to that place of honoring one another, showing love to our neighbor, Lord, by honoring the vows that we have taken. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. And thank you, Lord, for the gift that you prepare for us today to receive of your forgiveness in a tangible way, to see it with our eyes, Lord, to touch you with our hands, receive you into our bodies. We pray these things, Jesus, in your mighty name today. Amen.